Chapter Forty Seven of A Red Wallflower. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nancy Cochran Gergen, Gilbert, Arizona. A Red Wallflower by Susan Mourner. Chapter Forty Seven. A Talk. The next day began for Esther quite in its wonted wise, and it will be no harm to see how that was. She was up very early, a long while before the sun, and after a somewhat careful dressing, for it was not in Esther's nature to do anything imperfectly, she went downstairs to her father's little study or dwelling-room. It was free for her use at this time of day. The colonel took a late breakfast, and was never up long before it. This had grown to be his invalid habit. In the early days of his life and of military service, no doubt it had been different. The room was empty and still at this hour. Even Mrs. Barker was not yet astir, and a delightful sense of privacy and security encompassed the temporary occupant. The weather was still warm. No fire would be needed till it was time for the colonel's toast. Moving like a mouse, or better, like a gentle domestic spirit, Esther lit a lamp, opened a window to let the morning air in, and sat down to her book. Do you think it was philosophy, or science, or languages, or schoolwork? Nay, it was something which with Esther went before all these, and if need were, would have excluded all of them. She had time for them, too, as things were, but this must come first. She must draw water from the wells of salvation, before she felt freshened up for the rather weary encounters and dry routine of school life. She must feel the rock under her feet, and breathe the air of heaven a bit, before she ventured forth into the low-lying grounds and heavy vapors of earthly business and intercourse, and she must have her armor well on, and bright, before she dared to meet the possible dangers and temptations which might come to her in the course of the day. It is true, this day was a free day, but that made no difference. Being at home had its trials and difficulties as well as being abroad, but drawing from those wells, and breathing that air, Esther thought nothing of trials or difficulties, and, in matter of fact, for her they hardly seemed to exist, or were perceived, as it were, dimly, and their contact scarce felt. I suppose it is true in all warfares, that a well-armed and alert soldier is led alone by the foes that would have swallowed him up, if he had been defenseless or not given heed. And if you could have seen Esther's face during that hour, you would understand that all possible enemies were, at least for the time, as hushed as the lions in Daniel's den. So glad, so grave, so pure and steadfast, so enjoying, was the expression which lay upon it. Reading and praying, praying and reading, an hour good went by. Then Esther rose up, ready for the work of the day. She threw open all the windows and put out her lamp. Then she gave both the rooms the careful cleaning and dusting and putting in order, set the table in the one for breakfast, and laid the fire in the other, to be lit whenever her father might desire it. All this done and in readiness, she sat down again to study. This time it was study of a lower grade, partly preparation for schoolwork, partly reading for her own advancement, though there was not much time for this latter. It was long past eight, and Mrs. Barker came with the chafing dish of red coals and the tea-kettle. She stood by while Esther made the tea, looking on or meditating, 
and then began to blow the coals in the chafing dish. She blew the coals and looked at Esther. Miss Esther, she began, did Master say anything about the visitor that came to see him yesterday? Not much. Why? He said it was somebody on business. Well, Mum, he didn't look like that sort of person at all. Why not? Any sort of person might come on business, you know. True, Mum, but this wasn't that sort of person. If Christopher had opened the door for him, he'd a knowed. But my eyes is that poor when I'm looking out into the light. I can't seem to see nothing that's nearer me. But howsomever, Mum, what I did see of him, somehow, it put me in mind of Seaforth. Seaforth? Why? Who did you think it was? I am sure, Mum, I don't know. I couldn't see good, with the light behind him, and he standing in the doorway. And I can't say how it was, but what he made me think of, it was Seaforth, Mum. I am afraid you have been thinking of Seaforth, Barker, said Esther, with half a sigh. It could not have been anybody we used to know. Papa went there, you know, last summer, to see old friends, or to see what had become of them, and Mr. and Mrs. Dallas were gone to England, to their son, and with them the young lady he is to marry. I dare say he may be married by this time, or just going to be married. He has quite forgotten us, you may be sure. I do not expect ever to see him again. Was this man yesterday young or old? Young, Mum, and tall and straight and very personable. I'd like to see his face, but it may be as you say. Perhaps Esther would have put some further question to her father at breakfast about his yesterday's visit, but as it happened she had other things to think of. The colonel was in a querulous mood, not altogether uncommon in these days, but always very trying to Esther. When he seemed contented and easy, she felt repaid for all labors or deprivations, but when that state of things failed, and he made himself uncomfortable about his surroundings, there would come a miserable, qui bono feeling. If he were not satisfied, then what did she work for? And what was gained by it all? This morning she was just about to put a question, when Colonel Gainsborough began. Is this the best butter one can get in this town? Papa, I do not know, said Esther, brought back from yesterday to today with a sudden pull. It is Mrs. Bounder's butter, and we have always found it very good, and she lets us have it at a lower rate than we could get it in the stores. Nothing is good that is got at a low rate. I do not believe in that plan. It is generally a cheat in the end. It has been warm weather, you know, Papa, and it is difficult to keep things so nice without a cool cellar. That is one of the benefits of living in Major Street. It ought to be called Minor, for we are minus nearly everything, I think. What could Esther say? My dear, what sort of bread is this? It is from the baker's, Papa. Is it not good? Baker's bread is never good, not fit to nourish life upon. How comes that we have baker's bread? Barker knows what I think of it. I suppose she was unable to bake yesterday. And of course today her bread will be too fresh to be eatable. My dear, cannot you bring a little system into her ways? She does the very best she can, Papa. Yes, yes, I know that, as far as the intention goes, but all such people want a head over them. They know nothing whatever about system. 
By the way, can't she fry her bacon without burning it? This is done to a crisp. Papa, I am very sorry. I did not mean to give you a burnt piece. Mine is very good. Let me find you a better bit. It doesn't matter, said the colonel, giving his plate an unloving shove. A man lives and dies, all the same, whether his bacon is burnt or not. I suppose nothing matters. Are you going to that party at Mrs. I forget her name? I think not, Papa. Why not? Esther hesitated. Why not? Don't you like to go? Yes, sir. I like it very well. Then why don't you go? At least you can give a reason. There are more reasons than one, said Esther. She was extremely unwilling to reveal either of them. Well, go on. If you know them, you can tell them to me. What are they? Papa, it is really of no consequence, and I do not mind in the least. But in truth, my old silk dress has been worn till it is hardly fit to go anywhere in. Can't you get another? I should not think it right, Papa. We want the money for other things. What things? Did he not know? Esther drew breath to answer. Papa, there are the taxes, which I agreed with Mrs. Bounder I would pay, you know, as part of the rent. The money is ready, and that is a great deal more pleasure than a dress and a party would be to me. And then winter is coming on, and we must lay in our fuel. I think to do it now, while it is cheaper. And so, for that, you are to stay at home and see nobody. Isn't it right, Papa? And whatever is right is always pleasant in the end. Deucedly pleasant, said the Colonel grimly, and rising from the table. I am going to my room, Esther, and I do not wish to be called to see anybody. If business comes, you must attend to it. Call to see anybody? Whoever came to that house, on business or otherwise, but at the most rare intervals. And now, one business visit had just come yesterday. There might not be another in months. Esther looked a little sorrowful, for her father's expression, most unwanted from his mouth, showed his irritation to be extreme. But what had irritated him? However, she was somewhat accustomed to this sort of demonstration, which nevertheless always grieved her, and she was glad that she had escaped telling her father her second reason. The truth was, Esther's way of life was so restricted and monotonous outwardly, she lived so by herself and to herself, that the stimulus and refreshment of a social occasion, like that one when she had met Miss Ferrer a year ago, was almost too pleasant. It made Esther feel a little too sensibly how alone and shut out from human intercourse was the nobler part of herself. A little real intellectual converse and contact was almost too enjoyable. It was a mental breath of fresh air, in which life seemed to change and become a different thing. And then, we all know how close air seems after fresh, the routine of school teaching and the stillness and uniformity of her home existence seemed to press upon her painfully till after time she became wanted to it again. So, on the whole, she thought it not amiss that her old party dress had done all the service it decently could and that she had no means to get another. And now, after a few moments' grave shadow on her face, all shadows cleared away, as they usually did, and she set herself to the doing of what this holiday at home gave her to do. There was mending, making up accounts, a drawing to finish for a model. After that, 
if she could get it all done in time there might be a bit of blessed reading in a new book that her old friend miss fairbairn had lent her esther set her face bravely to her day's work the morning was not far advanced and the mending was not finished when the unwanted door-knocker sounded again this time the door was opened by someone whom pitt did not know and who did not know him for mrs bounder had come into town and as barker's hands were just in her bread had volunteered to go to the door for her pitt was ushered into the little parlor in which as nobody was there he had leisure to make several observations yesterday he had no leisure for them now he looked about him that the fortunes of the family must have come down very much it was evident such a street in the first place then this little bit of a house and then there was more than that he could see tokens unmistakable of scantness of means the drugget was well worn had been darned in two places very neatly but darned it was and the rest of it threatened breaches the carpet beyond the drugget was old and faded and the furniture pitt wondered if it could be the same furniture it looked so different here there was the colonel's couch however he recognized that although in its chintz cover which was no longer new but faded like the carpet books on the table were certainly the colonel's books but no pictures were on the walls no pretty trifles lying about nothing was there that could testify of the least margin of means for anything that was not strictly necessary yet it was neat and comfortable but pitt felt that expenditures were very closely measured and no latitude allowed to ease or to fancy he stood a few minutes looking and taking all this in and then the inner door opened and he forgot it instantly at one stroke as it were the mean little room was transformed into a sacred temple and here was the priestess the two young people stood a second or two silent facing each other but esther knew him at once and more as she met the frank steadfast eyes that she had known and trusted so long ago she trusted them at once again and perfectly there was no mistaking either their truth or their kindness in spite of his new connections and alienated life her old friend had not forgotten her she extended her hand with a flash of surprise and pleasure in her face which was not a flash but a dawn for it grew and brightened into warmer kindliness pitt dallas she said it is really you the two hands met and clasped and lay in each other but pitt had no words for what went on within him with the first sight of esther he knew that he had met his fate here was all that he had left six or seven years ago how changed the little head so well set on its shoulders with its wealth of beautifully ordered hair those wonderful grave soft sweet thoughtful eyes the character of the quiet mouth the pure dignity and grace of the whole creature all laid a spell upon the man he found no words to speak audibly but in his mind words heaped on words and he was crying to himself oh my beauty oh my gazelle my fair saint my lily my queen what right he had to the personal pronoun does not appear however we know that appropriation is an instinct of humanity for that which it likes and it may also be noted that pitt never thought of calling esther a rose nor would any one else that was not her symbol roses are sweet sweeter than anything and yielding in fairness to nothing but 
let me be pardoned for saying it, they are all so common, and Esther was rather something apart, rare. If I liken her to a lily, I do not mean those fair white lilies which painters throw at the feet of Franciscan monks, and dedicate also to the Virgin, Annunciation lilies, so-called. They are common, too, and rather specially emblems of purity. What I am thinking of, and what Pitt was thinking of, is, on the contrary, one of those unique exotic lilies which are as much wonders of color as marbles of grace, apart, reserved, pure, also lofty, and delicate to the last degree, queening it over all the rest of the flowers around, not so much by official preeminence of beauty as by the superiority of the spiritual nature, a difference internal and ineffable, which sets them, of necessity, aside of the crowd and above it. Pitt felt all this in a breath, which I have taken so many words clumsily to set forth. He, as I said, took no words, and only gave such expression to his thoughts as he could at the moment by bowing very low over Esther's hand and kissing it. Something about the action hurt Esther. She drew her hand away. It is a great surprise, she said quietly. Won't you sit down? The surprise ought to have been that you did not see me before, not that I am here now. I got over that surprise a great while ago, said Esther. At least I thought I did, but it comes back to me now that I see you. How was it? How could it be? In answer to which, Pitt gave her a detailed account of his various efforts in past years to discover the retreat of his old friends. This was useful to him. He got his breath, as it were, which the sight of Esther had taken away was himself again. Esther listened silently, with perfect faith in the speaker and his statements, with a little undefined sort of regretfulness. So, then, Ted need not have been lost to them, if only they could have been found. Just what that thought meant she had no time then to inquire. She hardly interrupted him at all. What do you suppose became of your letters? she asked when he had done for Pitt had not said that they went to his father's hands. I suppose they shared the fate of all letters uncalled for, if not the dead-letter office, the fire. It was not very strange that you could not find us when you came to New York. We really troubled the post office very little, having after a while nothing to expect from it, and that was the only place where you could hope to get a clue. Neither would Esther mention Mr. Dallas. With a woman's curious fine discernment, she had seen that all was not right in that quarter. Indeed, had suspected it long ago. But you got some letters from me, Pitt went on, while you were in Seaforth? One or two, I know. Yes, several. Oh, yes, while we were in Seaforth. And I got answers. Do you remember one long letter you wrote me the second year after I went? Yes, she said, without looking at him. Esther, that letter was worth everything to me. It was like a sunbeam coming out between misty clouds and showing things for a moment in their true colors. I never forgot it. I never could forget it, though I fought for some years with the truth it revealed to me. I believed what you told me, and so I knew what I ought to do, but I struggled against my convictions. I knew from that time that it was the happiest thing and the worthiest thing to be a saint. All the same, I wanted to be a sinner. 
I wanted to follow my own way and be my own master. I wanted to distinguish myself in my profession, and rise in the world, and tower over other men. And I liked all the delights of life as well as other people do, and was unwilling to give up a life of self-indulgence, which I had means to gratify. Esther, I fought hard. I fought for years, can you believe it, before I could make up my mind. And now, she said, looking at him, now now said he lowering his voice a little now i have come to know the truth of what you told me i have learned to know christ and i know as you know that all things that may be desired are not to be compared with that knowledge i understand what paul meant when he said he had suffered the loss of all things for it and counted them less than nothing so do i so would i so have i as far as the giving up of myself and them to their right owner goes. That is done. Esther was very glad. She knew she ought to be very glad, and she was, and yet gladness was not precisely the uppermost feeling that possessed her. She did not know what in the world could make her think of tears at that moment, but there was a strange sensation as if, had she been alone, she would have liked to cry. No shadow of such a softness appeared, however. "'What decided you at last?' she said softly. "'I can scarce tell you,' he answered. "'I was busy studying the matter, arguing for and against, "'and then I saw of a sudden that I was fighting a lost battle, "'that my sense and reason and conscience were all gained over, "'and only my will held out. "'Then I gave up fighting any more.' "'You came up to the subject on a different side from what I did,' Esther remarked. "'And you, Esther, have you been always as happy as you were when you wrote that letter?' "'Yes,' she said quietly, "'more happy,' but she did not look up. "'The happiness in your letter was the sunbeam that cleared up everything for me. "'Now I have talked enough. Tell me of yourself and your father.' "'There is not much to tell,' said Esther, with that odd quietness. "'She felt somehow oppressed. "'We are living in the old-fashioned.' have been living so all along. But quite in the old fashion, he said, with a swift glance at the little room where they were sitting. It does not look so, Esther. This is not so pleasant a place as we were in when we first came to New York, Esther confessed. That was very pleasant. Why did you change? It was necessary, she said with a smile. You may as well know it. Papa lost money. How? He invested the money from the sale of the place at Seaforth in some stocks that gave out somehow. He lost it all. So then we had nothing but the stipend from England, and I think Papa somehow lost part of that, or was obliged to take part of it to meet obligations. And you? We did very well, said Esther, with another smile. We are doing very well now. We are out of debt, and that is everything. And I think Papa is pretty comfortable. And Esther? Esther is happy. But I should think, forgive me, that this bit of a house would hardly hold you. See how mistaken you are? We have two rooms unused. Pitt's eyes roved somewhat restlessly over the one in which they were, as he remarked. I never comprehended just why you went away from Seaforth. For my education, I believe. 
You were giving a very good education when I was there. When you were there, repeated Esther, smiling. But then she went on quickly. Papa thought he could not give me all the advantages he wished if we stayed in Seaforth. So we came to New York. And now, you see, I am able to provide for him. The education is turning to account. How? asked Pitt suddenly. I help out his small income by giving lessons. You? Giving lessons? Not that, Esther? Why not? she said quietly. The thing given one to do is the thing to do, you know, and this certainly was given me, and by means of that we get along nicely. Again Pitsight glanced over the scanty little apartment. What sort of getting along was it which kept them here? What do you teach? he asked speaking out of a confusion of thoughts the one thing that occurred which it was safe to say. Drawing and music and some English branches. Do you like it? She hesitated. I am very thankful to have it to do. I do not fancy that teaching for money is just the same as teaching for pleasure. But I am very glad to be able to do it. Before that, there was a time when I did not know just what was going to become of us. Now I am very happy. Pitt could not at the moment speak all his thoughts. Moreover, there was something about Esther that perplexed him. She was so unmovedly quiet in her manner. It was kind, no doubt, and pleasant, and pleased. And yet there was a smooth distance between him and her that troubled him. He did not know how to get rid of it. It was so smooth, there was nothing to take hold of. While it was so distant, or put her rather at such a distance, that all Pitt's newly aroused feelings were stimulated to the utmost, both by the charm and by the difficulty. How exquisite was this soft dignity and calm! But to the man who was longing to be permitted to clasp his arms round her, it was somewhat aggravating. "'What has become of Christopher?' he asked after a pause. "'Oh, Christopher is happy,' said Esther, with a smile that was only too frank and free." Pitt wished she would have shown a little embarrassment or consciousness. Christopher is happy. He has become a householder and a market gardener, and above all, a married man. Married a market gardener's widow, and set up for himself. What do you do without him? Oh, we could not afford him now, said Esther, with another smile. It was very good for us, almost as good for us as for him. Christopher has become a man of substance. We hire this house of him or rather, of his wife. Are the two not one, then? Esther laughed. Yes, she said, but you know which one it is depends on circumstances. And she went on to tell about her first meeting with the present Mrs. Bounder, and of all the subsequent intercourse and long chain of kindnesses, to which Pitt listened eagerly, though with a somewhat distracted mind. At the end of her story, Esther rose. End of chapter 47 Recording by Nancy Cochran Gergen, Gilbert, Arizona.